0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Conversing with Creatives. I'm Jay Kasikov, and I want to thank everyone for listening to the first podcast with Chris Patola. I really appreciate all of you taking the time out of your busy lives to listen in. I truly hope you stick around with us because I'm going to do my best to make sure every episode is as unique and interesting as possible. But enough of that. Let's introduce today's episode. Today I'm going to be talking with Fran O'Hanlon, the head coach of the Lafayette College men's basketball team. I think you're really going to like this episode. Coach O'Hamlin is a really interesting guy with tons of cool stories to tell, not just about coaching and basketball, but about all of his time living in Sweden, Venezuela, and Israel. Let's start the episode. One shining moment, music in the background. What goes on? that that'll, here? that'll take place in the editing room. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how skilled I am with that. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll uh, we'll roll right into it. So right. Coach O'Hamlin, it's a it's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to be here in, in your in your backyard here, Jay, or in the basement, I guess I should say. Yeah, the 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 wonderful musty basement. It's a sadly, it's a warm day today, so it's even warmer down here. So, Coach. Let's take a trip down memory memory lane, coach, and talk a bit about your playing career. So, as I said, you played at Villanova. You averaged thirteen points per game. You were a co-captain in your senior season. You still hold the single season the the, the single game assist record with sixteen assists in a game. After your playing career at Villanova, you played a year in the ABA, and then you played a number of seasons overseas in Sweden. Nineteen eighty, you were MVP of the Swedish league. Sure. So, before you were coach O'Hanlon, what was your game like as a player?
1: Well as you say, I had I have the assist record, and a lot of that is a credit to the people that I played with. Uh, I've I've made some very good passes in my career to people that couldn't make couldn't finish, but I was playing with all Americans at the time. I'm playing with Howard Porter and and Johnny Jones and uh, and and Chris Ford, who's who's in the pros and uh, who was in the pros a long time. So those passes, whether they were good passes or not, they seemed to finish the play. So that certainly made me look good, uh, and I've been fortunate it. You know, I played at Villanova when uh, we went to the Elite Eight. Uh, at that time, it wasn't called the Elite Eight. But it's funny, because a year after they got rid of me, they went to the Final Two, which also, that game was in Houston. So they're going back to Houston for the first time um, since, since that time to play in the NCAA. Uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to play in the pros for a year. I was drafted by the 76ers and also Miami Floridians. Uh, but my time at Villanova was as good as any that uh, i just loved the school i loved to uh, play for jack Kraft. um we've had a lot of success while i was there uh, fortunately and as i said played with a lot of great players and and was fortunate enough to continue playing and and playing overseas uh, for a number of years i also coached overseas jay i coached uh, in venezuela i coached in israel uh, i coached an
0: american all-star team for a number of years so i had a lot of experience A Baker League announcer in Philadelphia gave you the nickname Rainbow Johnson. Now, I I don't think I can uh, sort that name out on my own, so I'm going to need a little help with what that means. Well, I was playing, and at the
1: time, the Summer League in in Philadelphia was one of the top Summer Leagues in the country. All the pros came back and played in the Summer League. Uh, It was different than it is nowadays. You didn't have as long an NBA season, so these guys would play. I played with Earl Pearl Monroe, uh, and on our team in in the league at that time, uh, we were where there was Pothead Pelzer, there was Bozo Walker, there was Showboat <laughs> Shannon, there was Watusi Card, uh, Shake and Bake Clark, and uh, my name did, just didn't seem to fit in that league. <laughs> and uh, as I was going into the league, one into the game one day, uh, I said, uh, Reverend Sal Murphy was our our announcer for the league. I said, it doesn't seem like uh, Fran O'Hanlon is going to fit. Uh, with this, with this league. And he said, well, you shoot those rainbow jump shots. We'll call you uh rainbow, uh, Hanlon. I said, well, I think it has to be Jones or Jackson or Johnson. <laughs> oh. I said, rainbow Johnson sounds good. And so this is just on the sideline as I'm getting ready to go in. And he announced rainbow Johnson in for pothead Pelzer. And everybody, and at that time, a lot of people would show up at the games, and they all got a kick out of it. And as luck would have, I hit one of my first shots, and uh, Reverend Saul said, Rainbow for it two. And once again, it stuck, and that was, uh, that was the birth of Rainbow Johnson. And I saw this past year, they had a TV show, and I don't know who was, I forget the TV show, but one of the characters in it was called Rainbow Johnson. It was a woman, and I said, "I think they stole my name." Yeah, nickname, where's, your, you know? where's your credit? Yeah, really, they, they just didn't come up with this, you know. We'll
0: have to we'll have to get on the phone with some lawyers uh, after the podcast. As you mentioned, you played overseas as well. Uh, what, how do you pronounce the club that you played for in Sweden? hageby It was in North Sherping, um
1: at the time, um, and I played there for I, I guess it was about six years. Um, Kenny Grant was the other American. They were allowed; you were allowed to have uh, a couple foreign players on your team at that time. And we were at an interesting club because in Sweden, usually you're going to in Europe at that time they were taking big guys. If you were six eight or above, you had a better chance of getting the job. We had a huge group. The Swedes are obviously a taller people. We had a seven footer, a six ten guy on our team, and so the guy that ran our team wanted a couple of guards, and he uh, he hired us, and uh, uh, we were in the second division at the time and if you know anything about European whether it's soccer or, or basketball you have to win the league to move up to the next league and my first year in there we moved up to the first division to the top division and we stayed in there and I think the second or third year we won the league and uh, it was a it was, it was a great time it was a they called it the pop sport it was a popular sport at that time everybody started getting on board cuz handball used to be the sport in Sweden the indoor sport and it, and basketball took over
0: during your time at Hogabee you also coached their farm team right. while you were playing. How, 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 how long did you do that for, and what kind of hours did you put in to both play and coach? Well, yeah, you. Uh, I mean, the playing was a lot because you were
1: traveling. Uh, the coaching uh, of the farm club—it was called Hook, Hook BB Co. BBK—and um, also coached to high school team. But high school basketball is not the same. Some of the team, some of the guys that were on the high school team were also on my my farm team. So uh, I did that for six years. The whole time I was there, you know, when you were. Professional over there, you had to do something other than just be the professional basketball player. So, um, you know, our days were long, uh, you know. But it was it was it was a good experience, and you get to uh, learn a little Swedish by uh, hanging out. Not that I, I needed to learn Swedish because everybody spoke English. Uh, sometimes it was uh, strange because
0: I would speak Swedish to them, and they answer me in English. So it was, uh, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> So immediately following your final season playing professional basketball, you took a coaching job in Venezuela. You actually won the league title in your first season, but that's a quick transition. So when did you know that you wanted to be a coach? How How long did you have that swirling around in your head for?
1: Well, I always wanted to be a coach. Yeah, since I was in high school, I remember putting in my high school yearbook was what was my ultimate goal, and that was to be a, a teacher and a coach, um, you know. And, and at at the time, and when you're a point guard, you're somewhat of a coach on the floor, so you always feel that you're very much involved in the game. Uh, when I went to and the guy that got us over to Europe uh, Jim McGregor who was an interesting character in his own right he was uh, he had been a college coach at the University of New Mexico he went to USC um, and he uh, he was the first person that started bringing foreigners or Americans to Europe and um, he he had a number of different sponsors that would do that Coca-Cola Gulf Oil uh, you know Gillette there was a number that he would have and he when I was with Miami, at the, and they changed the coaches. Um, the new coach didn't want me, so uh, uh, Jim McGregor contacted me and got me over to Europe. Now McGregor, as I said, was an interesting character because he uh, he spoke seven languages. He coached in a lot of different countries. He he sold players at that time. He would uh, he would sell players and get a finder's fee, and that's how he made his money. Also, coached in in uh, Italy for a number, of, and then he. Uh, he would pay us $5 a day. And there was a big turnover because you were always selling a player and somebody else had to come on. So um, when I was done with Sweden he had coached in South America in Colombia and he knew a lot of the people down there and he said um, there's a job opening in in Venezuela would you have any interest and I said yeah absolutely so uh, I went down there and, in a place called uh, Barquisimeto, Uh and we were the Panteras de Lara the Panthers of Lara um, and it was a great experience uh, Barquisimeto is was about two hours south of Caracas um, we won the league title they had been trying to win it a long time and we had four Americans you could play only three at a time uh, but it was interesting going into some of those foreign arenas as a coach you know and you know 10,000 people that would they had these mesh courts around uh, mesh nets around a lot of these courts and uh, they would try to throw the centavos the coins and try to I think that was kind of a national game see if we could hit the opposing <laughs> coach or players uh, through these net uh, these mesh uh, uh, nets uh, but we, um, it, it was a great experience. We won the league. I was also at that time. I was coaching, uh, and this is an interesting. Uh, I was helping out because the the women's team, the national team, had lost their coach, and they were training in uh, Barquisimeto at the national sport. And they asked me if I would the second half of the season if I would help them out. So I was doing that. Um, at the same time I was coaching the men's, you know, barquisimeto uh, team. And that took a lot of my day uh, because it was a national team. They were going to play in the Pan-American games because they were hosting in Venezuela. So it was going to be interesting for me to be able to coach in the Pan Am games. But as uh, luck would have it or unluck would have it, um, I went back home because I was going to take a two-week break after we won the league, and I was going to come back and and coach them again, and they they had a little break there. My owner at the time, Edgar Saldivio, uh, was a big-time businessman. He was back in the wrong government, and he got thrown in jail. So they didn't pay, send me my money, and I said, I'm not coming back unless I get my money. Uh, they, they owed me probably about two months' salary. So uh, when you look at uh, what's going on in South America or Venezuela or with Chavez or whatever, I certainly understand that, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it's, uh, there's some things that go on behind the scenes, uh, probably not even behind the scenes, right out in front. I don't know whether my owner ever got out of jail again. I never heard from him again.
0: <laughs> that, that's really interesting. So you get your coaching start in Venezuela, and after that you spend some time in Israel. You spend yeah. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Randy
1: Owens, uh, had, had his agent, uh, and his agent was a guy that played at Princeton um, Roma, and um, one of the guys on the team I played against in the Eastern League. And the Eastern League was like the uh, the. Minor league to the pros, and um, and he remembered me. And they were looking for a coach, and so they brought me over to coach in in Haifa. I was coaching Maccabi. I, I'm sorry, I started out at poll Haifa, and there's kind of the different Maccabi is one political party, poll is a sports party, uh, and a lot of the different things like you have Maccabi Haifa, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Apol Jerusalem. So either a Maccabi or a Haifa. Um, I coached, uh, you know, the first year Apol. Um, Haifa. Uh, the year before, they almost fell out of the league, and uh, we we got them to fourth place, which was great. We played in the got to the semifinals in the league, and um, and at that time, I went back home. Um, uh, things fell, and when you deal with Europe, you're always dealing with contractual things, and uh, the contract didn't work out for the next year. I went back and I, and I got a job in the interim as a assistant women's coach at Temple University. And uh, that's where I met the AD that was here at the time who hired me, uh, Eve Atkinson. Uh, and then after that year, I was only doing that for six months, I came back to Israel and I got a job when the Kabi Haifa, which was the, obviously the... Um, uh, the rival of the other team you know and apol and and Maccabi have a huge rivalry, and they all and they hate each other it 's kind of like uh in a friend in in a good way uh lafayette Lehigh and it was funny because you 're in the one locker room and you 're going to play a pole, and I said you know what they 're ta- you know what they 're saying about us over in the other locker room I was there you know uh, <laughs> so I know what they think of us uh and um but it was a great experience for her, and i I learned uh, it 's another thing i I learned another uh, or parts of another useless language for Swedish and Hebrew. You know, I can't learn, like I should learn Chinese or uh, Spanish where most <laughs> of the world speaks those languages. Uh, there's not a, not a lot of people speak in Hebrew or, or Swedish. Ah, you mean to
0: tell me you don't speak much Hebrew nowadays? Nah. That's that is shocking. No, that's, lo, shi- lo. that's shocking. <laughs> so So af- after that, after some of your time abroad, you're then a high school coach in Philadelphia, Monsignor Bonner High School. After that, you spent some time working for Fran Dunphy at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. And then you finally end up at Lafayette, mm-hmm. where you've been for 21 years, in 1995. So you spent a lot of time at all these different levels and all these different places. So what did, what did these early, early jobs in your career Teach you? How did they help you become the coach you are now? Well, they were a tremendous uh, experience for me, and, and running your own program and being a coach.
1: And as you said, different levels. I'm coaching uh, the top level professionally at some of these places, and I'm coaching a high school team. You know, which is obviously a lot different. I decided, you know, when I was in Israel that this I need to go back home and kind of. My plan, my plan when I got out of uh, college and went to over, overseas, was to spend a year or two overseas. Well, about thirteen years later, I'm still overseas, and I'm thinking, I don't—that wasn't my plan. I, obviously, I was having a good time; I was making a few bucks. Uh, but I said, I, I always was going to live in the states. I knew that was going to be the case. And you know, it's a funny thing, because uh, when I was in Haifa, David Blatt. Who was the Cleveland coach? He was, he was playing for Maccabi Haifa. So we were good friends. And one of the things I said when David got the job with, uh, you know, um, Cleveland, I I texted him. I said, David, one of us has come a long way from Haifa. One guy's coaching a guy named whatever, you know, and another guy's coaching a guy named uh, LeBron, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, to get back, I came back to the states, and Dave, and David, somebody that stayed in Europe, he. Had you know big time jobs with uh, the top Russian team the top Israeli team and who knows if I would have stayed maybe I would have had some of those opportunities but I I know I wanted to come back home Uh, my Swedish or my my uh, Hebrew wasn't good enough to stay there for forever Um, and I got a job as a high school coach Um, and and it's interesting because the experiences that you had didn't count for college like I could apply for a college even assistant college job and it was very difficult to break in because I didn't have any recruiting experience, um, and and the fact was that. ADs or whatever who's ever hiring are not going to hire that or coaches because of that and um, because people will ask me a lot of times how do you get in to be a college coach well I grew up with Fran Dunphy you know we were best friends growing up and um, when he got the job at Penn he asked me to come and and join him and and I owe so much of whatever success I've had to Fran Dunphy the fact that he gave me that opportunity knowing that I didn't have any of those uh, recruiting experiences Um, so I was with Dump for, you know, I went from high school with Dump for six years to Penn. We won the league three straight years. We were undefeated and uh, got the opportunity to coach uh, at Lafayette from there.
0: Now that I know of your relationship with David Blatt, let's uh, take a detour for a moment. Can I ask you what you thought of the Cavs firing of Blatt earlier this year. Uh, I didn't think he was given a chance. You know, uh, unfortunately, that's the, the
1: nature of of the NBA. The NBA had always wanted to hire a um, they always wanted to hire a foreign coach, a, a coach that had success because there's so many foreign players that have come over. Uh, you know, and so I know that was always on their agenda. And David got the job with Cleveland and. As we know, LeBron – and I I think he's a terrific player. He's one of the best ever – he didn't hire David because let's let's be honest the stars hire the 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 coaches Uh, so I don't think it was ever a marriage made in heaven Um, so uh, unfortunately for for David when things weren't working out they uh, they went in a different direction or LeBron went in a different direction it worked out well for one of my former assistants uh, Mike Longobardi who was uh, with me for three years during our championship years and uh, Mike was the assistant Coach at Phoenix, and they wanted a change, so they fired the two assistant coaches in December, and um, and Mike was out of work for about a week. And uh, when Tyrone Lou got the job, he had he had been with Mike at a, or Mike had been with him at Boston when Doc Rivers was there. So he hired Mike right away. So Mike went from from being in last place with Phoenix to being with LeBron. So. I guess you know it it worked out well for one of my one of my guys one of my guys didn't work out well for it, and the other guy it worked
0: out pretty well for. So coach you've been at here at Lafayette for 21 seasons now. You're the longest tenured coach in the Patriot League and this consistency and stability in coaching is something that few others can say in the profession. So, what is it about Lafayette that initially drew you in and has kept you here for so long? Well, my when I came here, and, and as you see with my background, I. I traveled a
1: lot. I moved around a lot. And I guess at, at one point when I got here, it was like, I don't, I'm don't, i not looking to continue to be a vagabond. But at the same time, my family liked it here. It was a young family. I had not been married until I got to Ben. Um, I had two kids that are going to Lafayette right now, uh, Gigi and, and Tim. Um, and they liked it here. So I had opportunities. The other thing is Lafayette gave me a chance. I wanted to be loyal to Lafayette. I also recruited people, and that was a hard thing for me. If I recruit somebody and opportunities came up because a lot of times in the recruiting game – they'll ask you, do you plan on staying here? And my answer was always, yes, I plan on staying here. And then an opportunity may arise, and I like, well, I told them that I was going to stay here, you know? So it was very hard for me to to, to leave under those circumstances. So uh, it, it worked out well, you know? It's, it's nice to have a job, and it's nice to be someplace that I really like, and, uh, and then my kids go to school here.
0: Yeah, that, that's admirable stuff. Um, I think one of the most notable things about the Patriot League is the combination of division one athletics and an especially an especially strong commitment to academics sure How does being a a coach in the Patriot League how does that affect the way you run your program both in recruiting and, a, and when your players get to school
1: well Obviously, the pool of talent is not as deep as maybe with some other schools because you're looking at uh, the, number one, the academic component, you know, and you certainly we have an academic index uh, which is combination of your SATs and your GPA that you know you have to be over a certain uh, a certain AI academic index. So that limits us. And then when you're in, you know, when you're coaching these young men, they have commitments and number. one, One, as they know, academics comes first, and there can't be any conflict with that. So uh, a lot of times we have to work a practice or things around that. Our scheduling is such that we hardly ever miss, um, you know, uh, uh, too much class time. I think over the course of a year, uh, probably two days, maybe three days or a half day here or there, uh, or outside our league, we hardly ever, you know, commit to going anywhere. If we're going to travel to, um, you know, we played Kansas last year. We do it on a weekend over a holiday. So we're not, academics is very, very strong in our, you know, our thinking as far as scheduling things, scheduling practices, working around the academic component.
0: On the subject of recruiting, obviously, when you look at guys, they need to have the right academic standing. And obviously, you want guys who are talented, who have, who have skill. But beyond those those more obvious things, what is it when you're evaluating talent, when you look at guys, that when you just see them play, you say, that guy, I like that guy, he's, he's for us? Well, it
1: just fits into how we play. We run a passing game. Um, so we're looking at people that, that pass the ball well. We've also are... Not that anybody doesn't look at shooting, but we also run a a system that relies on the three-point shot. Um, So we will look at that. That aspect of it as well. Um, so a lot of it depends on your your philosophy, and our philosophy is a passing game, shooting the basketball. Um, you know, and guys that were leaving for that were losing this year, for example, uh, uh, Zach uh, Roofer, uh, Bryce Scott. They're excellent three point shooters, and uh, that's one of the reasons that we and they can pass the ball, and that's the kind of guys that we we look for.
0: I think one aspect of your coaching style that I think is quite distinctive is the way you handle substitutions. You substitute a lot. Sometimes a guy will play a possession or two and then come right back out of the game and a, and a new guy will come in. Uh, what is what is it about this that you like? Is it the offense, defense? Is it keeping guys well, fresh? Some,
1: sometimes it's that way, Jay. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of, especially early, I like to give all of our guys a feel. They all practice hard. Uh, and I like to give them a feel for the game, and I think it helps in their development. Um, one of the things that happens, let's say, if you don't give anybody a chance to ever play, and then all of a sudden somebody gets a foul, somebody gets hurt, then you're going to them and you're saying, yo, you, I know we haven't shown any trust in you, and now I want you to get out there and... And do something, you know? So I try to give them that opportunity, you know, within the context of we are trying to win the game. Uh, If they've done the right thing and they're working hard in practice and they fit into what we're looking for and they know what we're doing, um, I will try to give them you know those opportunities and then sometimes you know it comes down like we had for example Dan Trist he used to get in foul trouble all the time so I tried to give him some defensive plays off because I knew that if he picks up that second foul uh, early in the first half that then he's going to it's going to take away some of his aggressiveness it's so if he picks up that first foul in the two first two minutes I know he's not going to last too long unless I Get them off the court from time to time and uh, and
0: that's a, and that may be with some other some of the other people that we 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 work with It's really interesting that you say that you use lots of substitutions as a tool in player development mm-hmm. uh, I was going to ask you about about that given that in college basketball player development is huge, especially at a program like Lafayette where guys are staying all four years so other than your substitution strategies, what else is it that you and your staff will do to help guys along in their player development?
1: Well, we're competing, uh, as we just talked about, on uh, on a level against some teams that maybe some of our guys haven't been recruited uh, to the schools, you know? Uh, so I think development is a real key in can we compete with these teams? And... You always want people that are coachable, that are willing to work hard, and I think we've gotten that, that take to coaching. And their development is some development, individually development within our system uh, is key to any success that we've had. And, you know, if you go back – like you look at uh, our last year's team that won the championship. Um I think someone like Joey Tuzinski, for example he he had one other scholarship, you know, uh, nobody else in the Patriot League. He's a thousand point scorer. and you know a lot of it's him. Seth Heinrich didn't have any other scholarships. you know now he's from a small town in Minnesota, so maybe not as many people saw him. uh Dan Trist didn't have that, but those guys they their work ethic was great. They uh, they did create in the classroom, uh, and they wanted to develop, and they they got better and better. And you know, obviously, we won the championship.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this past season. You guys had a tough year. You were six and twenty four. Mm-hmm. You went through a stretch where it was a little over a month between wins. What is a season like that when you don't feel the the effects of? of winning what does that do to a team how difficult is it for you as the coach to keep guys thinking positively
1: well i think a lot of it comes down to our leadership jay and um we had some very tough losses we lost i think six overtime games this year which is uh, it, it's interesting or it's funny uh, or ironic however you want to put it something like that because we um one year we won six overtime games uh, in a row and it was an NCAA record we set the record and people were calling me and saying what's your secret uh, do you think uh, I'm trying to get into overtime? I'm trying to win in regulation. I have no secret for overtime. We just happened to, things broke right for us and we won six in a row, uh, six overtime games in a row. This year was, maybe that's the balance, the yin and the yang. It right, didn't right. balance off. We lost six. Uh, but I, One of the things I was very impressed with, and it comes down to our our leadership, uh, Zach Ruefer and Bryce Scott and and, uh, Nick Linder, we would lose a heartbreaker, and they're right back at it the next game. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with how positive those guys are. They, hey, it's a setback. We're, uh, we're going to get back. They were much more resilient than I was, Jay, and uh, I, I fed off of them. Uh, and then the, we win the last game of the year, and it just, without Nick Linder, and uh, there was somebody else out in that game as well. Um, I think it says a lot about the character of them and, and their enthusiasm. Uh, and,. I remember saying in January, we are going to be much more competitive. I think this year we had Zach, uh, he had a concussion for about three or four games. Bryce dislocated his shoulder. I said, if we stay healthy, we're going to be much more competitive in February, which we were. But it didn't translate into the wins. So just a lot of overtime losses, uh, uh, and then even going into the playoff, the first round, you know, Nick was hobbled around on an ankle, and and, and uh, Zach was hurt with an ankle as well. Um, so sometimes that happens in a season. You, that's where you need depth. Uh, injuries are going to happen, you know. You, you know, and um, and but I, I thought that the guys really competed uh, with some tough setbacks. Uh, they just. Their their hearts out.
0: Let me ask about you personally. how How do you deal with with losing? Um, how are you able to keep the frustration at bay and keep a, a positive positive outlook for your team? Well, when you all, when you have a, a league playoff, that always you're
1: always looking to get better and better. Our our for example, we have been in four out of the last six uh, league finals. You know, which is um, for the last seven, we won one of them. But just getting to the league final is is an accomplishment, and that's what our our players, because of development, have done. Um, so. Even this year when we're losing some tough games and we play a BU or a uh, Navy, Army to overtime, all these, we're thinking, uh, we just got to continue to get better. And uh, when we get to the playoffs, uh, and you see it this year, the Holy Cross lost, you know, every road game and they won four straight road games uh, to get to the NCAA. Um, that, That gives you the, the impetus and the and motivation to keep fighting and uh, I think we've you know this is the first year we haven't won uh, in seven years we haven't won the first uh, a playoff game you know which uh, I always think our teams continue to get better and better as the season progresses and I thought this year was no, no different we just happened to have a few injuries uh, that didn't have us at 100% and uh, looking back for example last year you know that's, you don't need any better motivation than that in the middle of last year and I don't know if you remember it, Jay, there was a sickness on the on the campus, kinda of like it wasn't a neurovirus, but it was like it went through the whole campus. We lost in the middle of the year about three or four games where everybody seemed to be sick or hurt on our team. And when people asked, did you were you surprised that you won the league finishing fourth? No. I thought we were as good as anybody. I just thought that and and people get hurt. It was an inopportune time at that time, but we got healthy at the right time, you know, and that's that's what you hope for.
0: So next year is a new season. And so what are you most looking forward to about your team next year? Well, there's no off-season in basketball
1: you know as I tell them the pursuit of excellence doesn't know a vacation so they're working hard right now we hopefully we will learn from this I'm sure going into next season Jay will be picked for in, when they prognosticate the last place um, and as I say to our guys where our goal was not to finish ninth it's to finish first and there's a lot of work that goes into that and um, and hopefully with recruits and guys we have coming back you know, we will work hard and work together, uh, stay healthy, and uh, and and be ready to go next year.
0: Coach, what do you look for when you're putting together a staff of coaches, when you're looking to hire a new assistant? What do you look for? Well, people that love the game, that are committed to it. Uh, but then you're looking for loyalty.
1: Uh, I just had a young man in our office yesterday looking for a job and this is a time of year jay where so many people watch the ncaa and they see jay wright with a beautiful five thousand dollar suit uh, rick patino <laughs> and they say i want to be a college coach uh they don't look at my hundred dollar suit you know jay but uh they um, they look at that and say this is great that people are being interviewed and and um And as I said to the young man, I said, you know, you got to get into this business for the right reasons, that you love the game, you love to help kids develop, you know, that because there's not gonna, you're not all going to wear $5,000 suits. Uh, there's going uh, to be a lot of dues that you have to pay. Um, and, and there's no guarantee. Because uh, if somebody said you, you're going to work hard for the next five years and you're going to end up at a high level, that's not the case. You've got to love it. For, uh... So you're looking for people that are dedicated, that love the game. Loyalty is a huge factor. Um, for me, most of my assistants either have been people that I know uh, or one of my friends a friend Dufy or somebody recommends them highly because uh, I get so many and as I said I get so many resumes across my desk from very qualified people just like when I was trying to get a job you know uh, way back when so I certainly empathize with people that want to get in this and how hard it is uh, but at the same time you know if I don't know you if I don't if somebody else doesn't know you don't come recommend it uh, because I look at some of these resumes and I think I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to go against this guy in trying to get a job because it's a very impressive resume, you know, But at the end of the day, I gotta hire somebody I'm really comfortable with that that comes recommended and um, and so that's how I, I approach it.
0: Coach, I want to thank you very much for spending your time with us. this was this was great. Real pleasure to talk with you. Oh, you're welcome, Jay. All right. thanks again, coach.